In 2001, Halo Combat Evolved revolutionized first-person shooters and started a series that revolutionized online multiplayer. There's a rumor that, just in time for the game's 10th anniversary, Microsoft will release a remake. Nine months before the scheduled launch of The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, Bethesda Softworks is promising not only to improve the predecessor, Oblivion, but to revolutionize the fantasy role-playing experience itself. And with Valentine's Day upon us, what's your favorite video game romance? I'm Michael Ubaldi, Ed Kirchgester, Heather Richtmeyer, and James Day will discuss that and more on the February 14th, 2011 Game & Player Podcast. You music? Roll. So I believe it was a phone call from you, Ed. Uh, in fact, I had just taken a nap, and so when you told me about a Halo remake, I thought I was still dreaming. Yeah, is that why you were so uh, nonplussed, know, cold, and disconnected? <laughs> yes. No. Uh, yeah, I was kind of blindsided by it, and I'm pretty pumped. The idea of actually being able to play the Silent Cartographer level, which I think you and I both agree is still the best first-person shooter level either of us have ever played. Mm -hmm. Being able to play that cooperatively over Xbox Live would just be awesome. You know, it's There's funny... There's no another word to describe it. Awesome. Yeah, no, it would be incredible. And what's amazing is that the, the assumption is that uh, the new... The new version of Halo, which is supposedly, again, this is all based on rumor, uh, won't be a high-resolution version, won't be, uh, you know, upped pixels of the original. It will be a completely, uh, visually at least, redone uh, uh, creation. Um, we'll take advantage of the strides that have been taken uh, since the uh, the original release. So you will have uh, something like uh, online co-op and you'd probably have uh, online multiplayer as well. And the, the funny thing is that the, the attraction, at least for me and probably for you and a lot of others, uh, with Halo, the original one, is that it was a blast to play on your own because the single-player game was the attraction and it was just so compelling and had such incredible replay value. Yeah, I say as a single-player package, none, none of the games in the series have yet compared to the original. Um, Reach comes close. It comes close, but certainly two and definitely not three really hit that same level. They don't, they don't have the wow factor that the original game had. And probably the fact that the game had been in the pipe five or ten years at Bungie, you know, I'm, I'm sure that contributed to it being such a great single player experience. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this conversion works out. How will play balance? be affected by the introduction of, say, dual wielding, if they allow dual wielding? Um, how will that... They're saying you're going to be able to pick your own um, uh, control scheme. So, you know, maybe you want to use the Reach control scheme. Maybe you want to use the Halo 3 control scheme or the ODST control scheme. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out, too. I just hope they change the library. Mm. The library. The library That's level. Yeah, the the uh, floor after floor after floor of uh, of flood infested uh, zones. Oh, that stank! Complete with the <laughs> sub chapter called "Don't worry, there's even more." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I actually played through uh, the whole trilogy not that long ago for the uh, three commentary pieces for the site. And Halo 1 um, is definitely um, a perpetrator of stretching areas out, uh, most famously the library, of course. But there were quite a few other moments where you would just sort of um, standing your ground and Covenant dropships would just uh, keep coming in and dropping off more infantry over and over again. Um, uh, subsequent games kind of uh, tightened up that and sub subsequently the pacing of the series as well. So I'm wondering if they're going to tweak uh, those aspects in any way, just cut down on this kind of uh, filler segments where you're just being uh, hit with kind of respawns of enemies over and over again. Yeah, that definitely would be interesting to see. I think my glasses are so rose-tinted, there's, there's very little uh, of the original game's shortcomings that could put me off. I've, I've I think, halfway uh, uh, gone through the, uh, the, the game recently, and I don't know, I, somehow I, I experience it all through nostalgia, and I, I do recall the two times that I went through the flood levels, or the, the, the first flood levels um, in the library, uh, as as definitely a, a chore and uh, an ordeal. The first time, I think it was on either normal or heroic. The second time on legendary, and I took a lot of steps to move through it as quickly as possible. If you, in fact, waited long enough, the flood would stop spawning, um, just because there was such a such an onslaught, such a such a glut. Uh, and, uh, yeah, perhaps, perhaps, uh, uh, whomever is going to be taking this project will look at those levels and say, all right, how much is sufficient to get the idea across that this place is crawling with this, this virulent organism? How much is necessary to, to convey this sense of being overwhelmed without it becoming simply this mass of animated bodies that Master Chief simply has to plow through? And I think that's going to be determined by, is the developer remaking the game, or are they remaking the game? You know, yeah, reimagining. Yeah, and I don't, I'm doubtful that, I can't remember who the developer is, I, I just know they're in New Jersey. Um, Saber Interactive. 343? Three, four, three. 343? Three. Uh, uh, no, it's going to be Saber Interactive. Saber, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah yep. which is uh, kind of two things out of left field uh, in the announcement about this, yeah, is that it's not 343 who are supposed to be shepherding the uh, Halo series after Bungie have kind of uh, left it behind. And they're also not using the Halo Reach engine, which we think would be a, a given. Um, they're going to be using a new one for this game. So it's interesting yeah. uh, decision there. It is. It is. It's very interesting. And I, I haven't gotten a clear-cut answer just reading various articles whether 343 is still kind of there as a publisher Probably. or what the case is. But yeah, I, I recall now Sabre was the, the developer on this, and they're kind of an unknown, um, at least to me. But uh, hey, we'll see how it works out. I, I can't see Microsoft allowing you know a piss-poor remake of Halo hit store shelves. So I'm sure progress is already being made. The game looks pretty good. And hopefully um, it feels authentic. Because yes, exactly. when you're talking about unknowns, will people say, oh, it, it, it lacks that charm of the original. There was something nice about, about the, the, what, what we would call clunkiness uh, in any other game. There's just, just something about it. Uh, will that be 
be lost, the uh, the je ne sais quoi. I'm what I'm kind of interested about it right now is if they'll allow you to use some of the vehicles that you couldn't use in the first game, but you could use in some of the later ones. That is true. Uh, jacking. You know, will you be able to pick up a, a banshee, or will will it be impossible to use? That is one of those things that I could see a lot of a lot of complaints about. Uh, were the uh, the remake to be a purist, I mean, even though it kind of makes sense, would it necessarily unbalance the game? Uh, and would people think themselves entitled to to picking up, uh, you know, some of those some of those vehicles? And uh, and be very disappointed to the point of just throwing the game away and and either playing the original as it was meant to or playing one of the uh, the sequels because you're allowed to take advantage of those very very interesting mechanics. I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. In, in that sense, the game has to be a reimagining as opposed to a straight remake because I mean every game after Halo One added so many new mechanics that would have been game breaking to the original Halo just in terms of balance. Um, I, I'd assume that you will be seeing some changes in level design and enemy behavior, uh, certainly in weapon balance, just to keep things at an even keel. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, it, they could go the route of the uh, Perfect Dark uh, remake they made for Xbox Live Arcade, where obviously uh, sort of a lower budget, um, more of a facelift than a, like a reimagining. I'm just wondering what the odds are that they would uh, make this an Xbox Live Arcade title uh, instead. That's an interesting idea. But you'd think they already would have made reference to that. But, hey, we never know. Yeah. That would be... I I, I had been wishing that ODST was uh, an arcade title or a downloadable title. But at least that was was back when they were talking in press releases about this being an expansion for Halo 3, which we all know it wasn't. You know, it was sort of a a, a mishmash is what it was. But um, yeah, I, 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 that would be an interesting uh, decision if they decided to make this, you know, simply a downloadable product. And to the extent that this is as much a an act of historical preservation as it is an act of uh, capitalization of an asset, Microsoft mm. will do whatever is uh, most profitable, I think. They would save themselves quite a bit of uh, development cost if they went the perfect dark route, though. I mean, yeah, it was literally uh, a facelift, and yeah, it pretty much preserved everything other than upgrading textures and adding like, Xbox Live support. So I think if they really, if they did want to make it sort of a preservation piece, they would, it makes sense to go that way uh, with it. Um, but we'll see, I guess. Yeah, and certainly information will be coming down the pike as we approach the perceived release date. Speaking of uh, upcoming releases, just a few months after the first announcement of Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, Bethesda has been talking the ears off of uh, receptive journalists about these new features uh, of the sandbox role-playing game. Now, what's, what's interesting is that... You can imagine that a company like Bethesda Softworks is going to raise the bar. They're going to take, uh, uh, to use another cliche, the, uh, the the experience to the next level. But uh, I would say that uh, the uh, the statements coming out of the development house border on uh, uh, 
these these grand promises um, and very philosophical, very paradigm shifting uh, additions. One that caught my eye has to do with with combat, and again, it's it's very very conceptual. It's it's uh, um, in a nutshell, uh, uh, building better combat. Uh, to quote uh, game director Todd Howard, "There's a brutality to the combat, both in the flavor of the world, and one of you is going to die." I think you get very used to the idea that enemies are all there for you to mow through, but it doesn't seem like someone's life is going to end. We're trying to get that across. And that follows information about a much more complex combat system where rather than uh, the way it was in, say, Oblivion, and it is in most uh, hack-and-slash games, I'd say, where you have one button for block, uh, you can move around, which constitutes a dodge, and then you can strike in uh, uh, any any manner of, uh, of ways depending on your character's expertise. They're looking more at uh, a, a, an exchange of, of blows and dodges where the point is for you very much to avoid being hurt and, and struck, that you can lose balance, you can really lose momentum and uh, find yourself in a very, very bad position rather than being this, this damage sponge uh, uh, that, that can take X amount of hits before falling over dead instantly. And I think uh, they intend to apply that to your enemies as well. That uh, perhaps to a certain point, uh, uh, at, uh, at which point you may start to dive into the uncanny valley, uh, that, that hacking and slashing will affect uh, targets and it will affect you. And your interest will be in a kind of uh, dance of death rather than simply block, 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 strike, block, block, strike. And to me, that that uh, does interest me because Oblivion certainly, along with a lot of its other flaws, did eventually cater to that uh, uh, that kind of experience. Yes, certainly. I'm personally more interested in the stealth combat changes because I've never really played a character who would be a damage sponge. Mm-hmm. And so I had more of the experience that they talk about in here of shooting the guy with 40 arrows and he's still not dead. And at that point, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go download a mod and fix this because it's ridiculous. Yeah, Archery was broken in the first game. It was such a letdown. I, I was trying to build an archer type character and it was an impossible build. Um, I don't really know what the purpose of bows and arrows were in that game. Even with poisons, you, you couldn't do too much. No, yeah, it's correct. You could you could get off that first shot. Um, I think if it was like a, like a hidden shot, the, the kind of you know, the, the backstab mechanic that you see in uh, Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop games. Um, but even that um, would only take down the uh, 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 monolithic life of the enemy so much, and then you'd have to fill them with. Like you said, forty arrows, and uh, one of the one of the primary changes that you would see in mods was uh, an increase of the lethality of not only arrows but uh, dagger combat. So it was uh, it was a little bit more satisfying in terms of being able to uh, to get a jump on your foe and uh, and and killing him. Yes, killing people is always helpful and. I'll admit that there are times I've felt in the games where when I'm playing a stealth character, it's, you know, you have to sneak past all your enemies. You can't actually go kill someone, which isn't nearly as appealing. The other really interesting change to Skyrim, one that wouldn't necessarily strike you as monumental, but uh, uh, I think is 
possibly more intriguing in terms of its its influence and its origins. Uh, as you know, when you're playing an RPG, you have tons of items, you have tons of skills, spells, uh, maps, quests, everything. It's a lot to keep uh, track of, and menu systems are as much of a challenge as the actual game world. Well, I guess Bethesda found itself coming back to Apple and how it manages menus more and more until they finally decided, hey, let's make a, an, uh, a fantasy iTunes uh, in a sense, and try to make menu navigation as abstract, as efficient, as minimalist as possible. I am, I'm fascinated. I did not read this. <laughs> I knew you would um, be. Yeah. <laughs> Apple? At what? I? Uh, no, I, I don't know. Could, could you, do you remember, recall any specifics? Would you be able to walk through like the, the sorts of things they were talking about specifically? Because yes. I, I can't even wrap my head around this concept. Uh, Okay. You know in iTunes, when you look at all your music, you get to flip through it and look at the covers and it becomes tangible? Game director, again, Todd Howard asks, One of our goals was, what if Apple made a fantasy game? How would this look? It's very good at getting through lots of data quickly, which is always a struggle with our stuff. So pressing right, it says, takes you to the inventory. The interface is a clean cascading menu system that separates items by type. Here players can browse through weapons, armor, and other items they gather during their travel. Instead of relegating players to look at an item's name and stat attributes, each possession is a tangible three-dimensional item with its own unique qualities. Thousands of items are fully rendered and characters can zoom in on or rotate each one. And uh, as Howard uh, goes on to say, it becomes an interesting time sink. You can look at and explore every single thing you pick up. Interesting. Now, if uh, he's also stating that I'm now able to further categorize my my equipment, sort of in a metadata sense. Oh, my. I'm very fascinated by that. I mean, imagine if you can sort based on, you know, is this a weapon? Or is this a weapon that does X? Or um, I know exactly what you mean, and yeah, I, mean, I, I can yeah. see that happening in a beta phase, that there are going to be ten, tons of people like you and like me who would say, you know, they're organized alphabetically, but don't you think there might be a more useful way depending on the player? And I can see uh, the, uh, the developers adding that. I know that, uh, based on what I'm reading here, uh, items can be bookmarked, not necessarily bound to a hotkey, but... Uh, given a little hot list, a little uh, short list that you can uh, easily do. But again, what if you wanted to categorize uh, your items according to some kind of filter that's meaningful to you? Exactly. Be, be that, you know, categorized by a particular build that you have. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, an analogy to, to World of Warcraft here. You know, how, how we have gear sets. Imagine being able to somehow put a metadata tag on particular items to quickly access or modify a combination of armor or, you know, weapons. Yeah. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they uh, implement that because if, if it's done right, it could be very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think ultimately what's so neat about this is that Bethesda's thinking so much more about, you know, what kind of monsters could we put in here? It's, it's about gaming. It's about an experience uh, much more than it is simply about uh, another installment of a fantasy series. Right. And uh, you kind of bring up an interesting point there. Um, when, you, when, when developers start focusing on 
their systems, on their interfaces, um, they, they, they start to tread at ground, which I would love to see more developers tread, which is, do we really need to be coming out with a new game every year? If rather we basically develop a platform, which then we're providing content for. Uh, I'm going to use Rock Band as an example. Rock Band basically hit, hit a point where you, you weren't really buying the game in a sense. You were buying the Rock Band client. And then that client granted you access to the, the online store, matchmaking, everything else. Um, I, I, I'd love it if that idea could be brought to different genres. To yeah, first-person shooters, to, to role-playing games. I don't see that so much for the Elder Scrolls. I mean, they're, they already have so many tools for user-generated content. On, on PC, at least, yeah. 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 So that makes, you know, unless they have something really good or really inexpensive for extra content, you can just be like, oh, I'm going to go get a new mod instead. Yeah. Now, I would say that one thing they could do for what you were talking about for the gear set, I know Morrowind on the PC had, you know, you could keyboard shortcut a weapon to switch or a spell to switch. So if they set it up so you could use that to instead switch a gear set, that would be quite convenient. Oh. See how many types of armor they have that, that you're going to be using, too. Hopefully more than in the last game, because I, I think I hit a wall after about 20 hours of gameplay where I just kept getting the same things over and over again, or at least no, nothing ever appeared new or different. Mm -hmm. There were far too few skins and far too few new abilities you were exposed to or granted. That is a very interesting uh, dimension. It's one I could go on for forever. And in fact, I wrote an article about it uh, a couple of years ago, I think, how after a certain period of time, depending on the depth of the game, it's kind of like the human eye being able to detect uh, animation frames. We can sense patterns, and once we sense particular patterns within an environment that is intended to simulate reality, we lose our suspension of disbelief. We can see the patterns, we know what's going to happen, and it doesn't seem as real or compelling. Yeah. So again, I mean, given that Bethesda is tackling some of these m massive concepts and issues, it'd be interesting to see if they turn their attention to uh, others as well. Now, one other thing I'd be curious about, has there been any word at all about the option to play through Oblivion with a system akin to the VATS combat system that was in um, Fallout 3? Based on the article that I read, it doesn't look like it. Looks like they are okay. very much going to go towards a uh, a live action play where you actually do have to be pretty good with the controller. I guess the vats doesn't seem like something that would fill fit in with the Elder Scrolls and with how they've done. I mean, especially going back to Morrowind, I know there they had a lot more dependence on your character skill. And <laughs> oh dear, that was the game where you could get killed by a mud crab if you didn't pick up the right weapon skills. So, you know, crabs are dangerous; they carry bacteria. They also serve as vendors on occasion. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think given the fact that Bethesda pushes its Elder Scrolls games, or at least Oblivion and now Skyrim, to be played as a first-person shooter. 
to really step into the shoes of the person rather than be uh, at a disjuncture in uh, third person, that they probably would want it to be as uh, uh, moment-to-moment and live-action as possible. And that's, I think, would run counter to that. So, Valentine's Day. Romance. Video games. Discuss. I'm getting an Eve shirt, so... uh... Not sure how romantic that qualifies as, but it certainly has some interaction with the video game topic. Yeah, well, uh, given that Valentine's Day is uh, uh, today, if you're listening to this on the day it goes up, um, I thought it'd be uh, appropriate to discuss our favorite uh, in-game uh, romances that you've experienced, not uh, not otherwise, as uh, Ed got confused about earlier on. Um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah um i think uh, mass effect 2 for me is one that deserves uh mention uh it's a fairly recent uh game as well um i, I don't know there's just something about bioware's characters that they just um they just feel more alive than most games and uh when they give you the opportunity to pursue relationships as well it, it's just uh it's it's hard to put it into into words, but I don't know. They just they just do it the best. Um, and Mass Effect Two had so many characters you could uh, potentially romance as well that it actually added to the replayability to, uh, for me to actually play again or or play as a female shepherd and see how the the other um, the male uh, relationships turn out. So it's interesting that you say that because uh, when I played through Knights of the Old Republic, another. Bioware game, um, my Revan was a female, so she was romanced, and I did pursue the romance with Carthonassi. And it was interesting because, uh, again, a d- different perspective and a very, very different uh, apprehension of the twist given uh, given the, uh, the the gender and, and and what it meant for for the you know the, the protagonist and uh, and Carth. Oh, yeah. I went out my male character in. Um Monarchs in Republic 1, I mean, there's kind of like a a love interest that's almost the default one uh, for, I think, for males. And I can't actually remember all the relationships, but I, I normally... three, Bastila, Karth, and uh, I forget her name. Oh, uh, Juhani? Yes, Juhani. Oh, okay. Who is available to both. Mm. I think... Kinky. They... Catwoman! <laughs> Well, I think in Mass Effect 2, at least they 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 make the characters so relatable. It just you just want to see, you know, all the relationships that you can to see what happens. I mean, particularly in Knights of the Republic, the the Bastila relationship just seemed to make the most sense to me because uh, obviously she was uh, she kind of um, was your mentor after you'd forgotten uh, well, spoilers that you were, you know, Dark Lord Revan and all that. So. Yeah, it just, uh, just, I don't know. It's hard to put my finger on why so well. I mean, the voice acting is has been That's outstanding superb. in the Bioware games. Yeah, um, Jennifer Hale as uh, Bastila and Female Shepherd uh, in Mass Effect. Uh, definitely two standout performances there for me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd definitely have to second the uh, Karth one, just because of how the twist worked out and. The, uh, the way that he relates that to point. it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Car- Karth is very much a uh, a blushing, stammering uh, good guy, which again, I think... Uh, uh, Hugh Grant of Star Wars? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I, I just, you know, I, I, oh, I, I, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have the voice down, Mike, I must say. Not bad. Um, but it, it, that's an interesting perspective, James, and I think it would help me uh, better appreciate... Uh, Bioware's uh, patented uh, love interests. I think maybe I've become a little cynical because it can feel a little conventional um, and, and formulaic that, oh, here's the opposite sex, or depending on your preference, uh, uh, same sex. They do respond to your overtures. Looks like you can move yourself towards a more intimate relationship and before the final suicide mission, have a night together. Um, and uh, Sometimes to a degree, and again, based on my my recent article about how I, I felt that you essentially have to have to cajole uh, a certain um, a particular character for them to like you or to respond favorably to you, rather than you actually speaking their language. Um, it almost felt like uh, just just ingratiation, um, but like you're saying, because these characters really are three dimensional and the the voice acting is very believable it brings a life to this character you do find yourself reacting to uh to uh, these these relationships um you know on a personal level and uh, sometimes it does feel like it's uh in archie comics betty or veronica um you know and it's great for archie because he can choose either one at any given time but no, I, I would say with Mass Effect 2, at first I was, for whatever reason, very interested in pursuing the relationship with Jack. Um, didn't care for Miranda at all. I just I didn't like her, her power girl mentality. Uh, maybe I didn't like the actress uh, behind the voice. Uh, maybe uh, the, 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 the Quarian. Um, she was okay, the, 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 the typical nerdy girl. But uh, in fact, when the when the Justicar came on board, uh, one of the last uh, crew members that I picked up, I was smitten, and it was very interesting to see that my desire to drop Jack at that point like a like a hot potato um, didn't quite turn out as planned for reasons that I won't go into because of spoilers. But it was it was just a very very interesting twist that here you, you know I, I was ready to, to crack open the shell of the poor criminal cybernetic sociopath. And along came another character, and I responded very personally to it. So you're saying you like much older women then, Mike? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Experience, uh, James. <laughs> well, for me, I wound up having my character stay with the same romance that I'd gone through in the first Mass Effect, yeah. which means that you didn't really get anything out of it at that point, because, oh dear. I always refer to him as Karth, because they had the same voice actor. <laughs> that's right. Kaiden. That's, yes, that's, um, that's quite an interesting mechanic uh, that I don't think many games have done. Um, staying with the, you know, your character's already in a relationship, uh, so you can't pursue anyone else or choose not to. Um, I don't think that's been done in many games. I mean, obviously you had to play Mass Effect 1 to uh, start that relationship with either Kaiden or Ashley, but actually, yeah, pretty interesting. I believe, depending on what you choose for your shepherd and your background, that it may default you to having had a relationship with Caden or Ashley. 
in the previous okay. game. Well, yes. Um, I actually played Mass Effect 2 without carrying over my, my character or my saved game. I'm not really uh. sure why exactly. Um, maybe I just felt like it would be too much baggage. Um, but like Heather's saying, what it did is it extrapolated from my choices, survivor, war hero, all that stuff, those, those basic uh, uh, characteristics, and then it built a story, and then it filled in the gaps based on my responses in questions, uh, basically mm. kind of pulling me for what kind of past I wanted. It's going to be interesting to see the payoff in Mass Effect 3 as well, if you chose to stick with your current relationship. Um, is obviously, yeah, no, you don't get any love scene or anything at two if you decide to stay faithful um and to and to see what uh happens if you you know you cheat on your relate uh your lover as well in mass effect 3 that's uh gonna be quite interesting um but aside from bioware games uh anybody else got any other couples they uh think fondly of it from gaming well in fable 2 i think i had seven wives and four <laughs> families <laughs> We're talking about charming stories, Ed. Oh, oh. <laughs> Ed, you're depraved. <laughs> Art imitating life at all? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, one of the first games I ever played was uh, King's Quest II, and the title, Romancing the Throne, explains everything. You have uh, King Graham, newly crowned, and he's lonely. He looks into the magic mirror and sees the face of a beautiful woman. She's, in fact, trapped in this ivory tower, and the entire adventure is uh, your effort to reach her and rescue her. Um Two games later, The Perils of Rosella, King's Quest IV, Rosella uh, eventually gets herself a, uh, a husband, and it's uh, qu kind of an inter interesting twist. But um, no, it's uh, uh, funny to see uh, how that worked out. It's, it's all very superficial and uh, doesn't have uh, uh, much more exposition than it being at the climax and uh, kind of uh, a reward for having beaten the uh the the puzzles and the game but uh it, it made an impression those were immediately the two that i thought of yeah i would think there wouldn't be more examples from adventure games but um i can't really think of any i mean that, that, when you think of uh character in in gaming i think adventure games but i'm not recalling many personal ones from my uh, adventure gaming history no i mean like i, I was thinking zelda as an example but there's really no romance there. It's just no. charming friendships, really. Well, yeah. um, again, charming friendships between a man and a woman. Is that simply the absence of romance, or is that a, uh, a, a tool for storytelling and uh, uh, taking advantage of natural inclinations uh, that, that you can never, as they say, just be friends. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of two games. One would be, uh, say, the Prince of Persia remake, where mm -hmm. you have the prince and you have the princess Elica. Yeah. And and even though there's no uh, uh, overt romance, I don't even. I mean, maybe there's a kiss, but it's no, there isn't. It, it's it. You know, it's it's obvious that the two care very, very deeply, and the prince obviously acts uh, in, in the end of uh, the, the, the remake before the epilogue in a way that uh, just shows what's inside his heart. 
Um, but it isn't, uh, I love you. I love you. Let's kiss. <laughs> you know, that kind of it's thing. implied, Marta. It, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's subtle, but it's, it's such a strong driver. Uh, and I know I use this example, which seemed to elicit uh, some snickers and general laughter. But I do think there was uh, perhaps as awkwardly as the uh, the evolving bungee crew could tell um, some tension between Master Chief and Cortana. Mm. Yeah, I I do. Yeah. There's the laughing. Well, no, well, I just looked up the or the deviant art fan art of Cortana, and uh-oh. I don't know. On some level, it seems to me that Cortana was more viewed as a fapping material for fourteen-year-old males <laughs> than anything else. So, mm. Heather, clean your well, cookies <laughs> right now, right <laughs> now. Well, I, there is some foundation there, Mike, because if you if you read it in the the Halo lore, uh, like through the novels and things like that, you'll find out that Cortana is actually based on um, the Dr. Halsey, who makes an appearance in Halo Reach. Right. Um, so she's, yeah, based on her and uh, some who, who's basically the, uh, she's basically the mother of the Spartans. She's a scientist behind the, the Spartan program. Oh, okay. So and, now we're Oedipal. Thanks. <laughs> well, but at some point she's not, you know, directly, there's no, blood connection there or anything because the children were taken uh they're either orphans or they were just like taken away from their parents they didn't um, know I, I yeah i realized that that was an excuse too. go on yeah. but um <laughs> at some point i i'm not sure if it's in one of the novels or something but it's it does state that uh dr halsey d- does actually find herself physically attracted to a uh, grown-up uh, you know, John, aka master chief so you could say that cortana kind of does because she's based on Dr. Halsey, so... Or is she Dr. Halsey's offspring as well, so technically Cortana, (laughs) Master Chief, her brother and sister. Thank you for that profound experience, (laughs) Oh, no. But, um, well, definitely in Halo 3, there was the whole, um, the whole Cortana being lost in space and Master Chief going to rescue her. That was more like a traditional and cliche romance kind of moment so damsel in distress yeah yes i'm funny next time she has to go rescue master chief (laughs) well they're both lost in space together now so i don't know that could be romantic what Uh, a honeymoon (laughs) yeah but um yeah so long uh, as no one suggests a navi link romance uh, well, the fans <laughs> have suggested and drawn and written about all of these uh, multiple times, normally in uh, erotic manners. So, yeah, it's all been <laughs> thought of before. But um, another series that I want to mention um, is, well, specifically the fourth entry in the series uh, is Persona. Um, again, just uh, really well-created characters with uh, great voice acting. Um, throughout. Uh, an interesting thing they do in Persona 4 and 3 is that you actually level your relationships with people. Um, so it kind of, it's kind of like a, a metaphor for actual relationships in a way. Um, and there's like dialogue trees like you'd expect from uh, Mass Effect kind of games that can uh, influence uh, these the outcomes of the relationships. So that one's another one that really stuck in my mind. Um, again, like Mass Effect, there's a touching moment right near the end of the game that, with your chosen girlfriend, um, which I won't spoil. But yeah, that's that's another one that really sticks out. Um, 
James, I'm curious, were you able to play the uh, remake of Persona 3 on PSP, which allowed you to play a female character? No, um, I, I wanted to, to see what the differences were. but Yeah, yeah. I'm in the same boat. I never actually get to try it, but it, it, it piqued my interest. Mm. No, I didn't in the end. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, Ed, you've had some experience with the Persona games. Um, no, so, definitely, and I, I think it's it's a genre, or you know, that part of the game reflects a genre which I think most Western gamers aren't very um, familiar with, which would be the idea of the Japanese uh, dating simulators or you know, relationship simulator games. You know, hey, you're the new kid in high school. How many friends can you make? What can you do? You know, uh, and it, it it's actually a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. It would drive a completionist mad because. At least Persona 3, you're, you're on a timetable. And there's only so much you can do in any given day, and I think you're limited to a, a school year to complete the game. So but the, it would be impossible, I think, to, to max your relationship levels with you know, all your friends, all your love interests, and everything. Um, but you know, in turn, it's, it's really fun how I, I'd imagine that just about everybody has a different experience when playing the game because you're probably going to be attracted to a different character or uh, you know, seek seek out to bolster friendships with different cliques per se within the school. Mm. Yeah, and I think RPGs have a big benefit as well because they tend to be longer in length than most games. So you've got far more time to you know spend time with these characters, talk to these characters. So and the focus right. is on actually getting to know them. Yeah, Having at least some good RPGs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Does that yeah. mean that Bethesda games aren't good RPGs? They're not. Um, <laughs> I, I would say they're probably not. Eh, will I get yelled at if I say they're not story-driven? Uh, no, not necessarily, because I think that the concept of a sandbox game is to replace uh, depth and intimacy with breadth. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're gigantic. And there's a reason why, I, I to defend your point, Ed, I sometimes prefer sandbox games to... Uh, uh, a a social game, and it, again, it's one reason why I think Dragon Age didn't work. At least for me, I really felt that everything was a set piece. That I wasn't exploring this place. I was uh, this this land. I was just going from uh, uh, pat location to pat location, mm-hmm. having these conversations with talking heads. Exactly, we were basically triggering key events. Which um, you know, I, I can say that a lot of the Square Enix games fall into that category. I mean, the only thing dynamic about any of the Final Fantasy games really is the combat. Um, yeah, it just didn't work Other for than me. that, everyone's going to have the same experience, though. So that would actually be one, one last franchise I'd like to mention in terms of uh, relationships and relationship building. And my favorite example actually isn't what most people would probably think of Final Fantasy VII with the whole you know, Cloud and Eris and it's Tifa love triangle. But um, Final Fantasy XII, and this is an instance of a relationship, but not necessarily a romantic one. And sadly, I cannot remember character names. Was Van Van the blonde kid? Yep. What was the name of his um, his uh, his his friend that was his age? The girl, Penelo. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I loved their relationship in that game. Um, it was it was kind of brotherly sisterly they they looked out for each other but they were still friends at the same time it reminded me of a lot of my favorite relationships in 
uh, an anime, anime series. I, yeah, I, and go ahead and say it. <laughs> Last Exile. Yep. Um, is that what you were thinking, Mike? Uh huh. That's exactly what I was thinking of. The uh, the uh, the protagonists in that series have the most beautiful relationship. That it's not. I don't think it's it's really. If it's at all romantic, it is the most innocent relationship that you could ever have on screen. And you're you're seeing the way that these two characters interact with a lot of older individuals, like uh, the, the the male character. You know, he'll he'll meet older women, which kind of makes uh, what was her name, Luffy, Luffy. I can't remember her name now. You know, she she's clearly jealous by this, but at the same time, she she's not acting on any on any emotions that she has for for this this boy who's basically a brother more than a love interest. But uh, just outstanding, outstanding character development, outstanding relationships. And I, I just felt a bit of that when I was playing through Final Fantasy XII between those two. Um, yeah. Not perhaps a, you know, Valentine's Day romance, but uh, still very cool relationships in gaming stories. Well, I'll admit that I'll be glad once Valentine's Day is over so I don't have to hear all these cliched descriptions about what Valentine's Day romance should be. Exactly. You know, it's... Oh, boy. I'll be glad (laughs) because when I play World of Warcraft, I won't have this winged goblin following me. (laughs) Well, I thought they extended that event for two days. (laughs) Why, why am I giving the King of Stormwind a charm bracelet? <laughs> <laughs> it's the chin. Oh it's the chin. Yeah, I don't know. Someday that just makes me want to go back tomorrow and then have the guards call me scum. At least they, are, they don't seem so much like talking heads. 